I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, well, the last episode you heard we said was the last of the season, so that can only mean one thing, that this is the 2021-2022 season review, of course, with my good friend Dave Hendrick, who you can find at EPL Index and Anfield Index, and if it has index at the end, you know, he's probably involved doing great stuff over there. Dave, an absolute pleasure having you join me. I just referenced the, the latest episode of the EPL Roundtable, which we recorded on Championship Sunday, and uh, a, an interesting topic came up, which was whether or not this was one of the best Premier League seasons ever. My argument for was largely that the title race, top four, European spots, and relegation were all decided on the final match week of the season, but a couple of the guests were kind of disagreeing, saying that, yes, it was very entertaining, but is this the best United have been in the last 10 years? No. Tottenham? No. Even City and Liverpool? Is this the best they've ever been? Probably a better case for Liverpool than City there. Uh, and I just found that to be a really interesting argument. Which side do you think you'd fall on? That this is one of the best Premier League seasons ever, or simply one of the most exciting? I think without question, one of the most exciting because of what you mentioned, the final day just had so much riding on it. Title, top four, Europa League and relegation. It was all, there was something going on everywhere. There was very few matches on that final day that had nothing at all riding on them. But I do agree that, I mean, Liverpool City, City were better in 1819. And probably the season before was their 100-point season, wasn't it? 17, mm. 18. So those two seasons, that was really the apex of City. Liverpool, 18, 19, 19, 20. In terms of the league, were probably better. But remember, this season, Liverpool went really, really close to winning, winning everything. No club has ever gotten as close to a quadruple as what they did this season. So Played literally could every available match. Every available game and every game mattered. Like, they were... Within Aston Villa not choking, they were 11 minutes from winning the Premier League title. They were, you know, within themselves not turning up really in the Champions League final from winning that as well, even though they were still the better team on the night. I I, I don't think it's the best season, though. Like, I think when you've got seasons where there's two teams running away from the rest by 20 points, when you've got teams routinely collecting 90 points it does obviously speak to the quality of those teams but I also think it speaks to the quality of the league as a whole like when we look back at the great United teams under Ferguson they never got these type of point totals you know Arsenal Arsenal under Wenger never got these type of point totals so I do think that you could make an argument that Liverpool and City are as good as anyone has ever been in the Premier League. 
But beyond them, I I do think there's a there's an overwhelming feeling of mediocrity with a lot of teams in the league. And it's funny because it's not that they're mediocre bad, but they're not good either. They're just right there in that kind of purgatory of, well, we're not going to go up or we're not going to get relegated, but we're also not going to do anything more than what we're doing. And, you know, with, with so much money in the league now, uh, they can everybody can spend everybody has money to spend i mean crystal palace last summer spent big money we've seen aston villa cup of the division and spend fortunes leeds spend fortunes everton have spent hundreds upon hundreds of million leicester have spent a lot so it, i think it should be better than it is i do think it should be better than it is but i suppose to be all and end all is there are only a certain amount of points to go around and if two teams like liverpool and city can dominate the way they are. And I do put Liverpool on the same level as City, even though City have four league titles, Liverpool's won. Two of those league titles were won by one point. And one of them, one point each, and one of them was won when Liverpool suffered a raft of injuries. I do think for the last four years, they have largely been neck and neck. Liverpool won the league at a canter one year, City the other, and the other two seasons came down to the finest margins. But I don't know. I just think the overall quality of the league is not quite as good. And maybe that's just because it's not quite as competitive. Maybe the teams are better than what they were 20 years ago. It's just that Liverpool and City have reached a new level that no one's been at. And that makes it seem less competitive. Yeah, I, I think that a, a lot of that is fair, especially the math point. But yeah, if you have teams in the 90s, you're inherently going to have to have some teams in the 20s. Exactly. There, there might be a huge break somewhere in the league. Um, cool. Well, we're about to jump into the club section. We're going to be starting with Liverpool, going all the way through Wolves. If you want to hear any of the clubs alphabetically from Arsenal to Leicester, you should check out part one, which you can find over on... Uh, which channel is that going out? EPL Index? It's the EPL Index channel. If you search uh, EPL Index podcast on your, your um, podcast provider, you will find it under the Two-Footed Podcast which you can hear daily at 4 p.m. if you're not already. Yeah, and you should definitely check out that and, and all of Dave's other content, which I'm sure you can find through the EPL Index Twitter handle there as well. But Dave, no no better person to start with, no better time to start than asking you about Liverpool season. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one. We've had an incredible season, really, like 92 points in the league. That should be enough to win the league. But with this city, it's just not quite good enough. So they fall a point short in the league, but they match City basically stride for stride every step of the way. You can look at certain results that Liverpool had this season where, you know, Brighton at home, they're 2-0 up and they throw the lead away. Brentford away, a 3-3 draw is disappointing. A defeat to a bad Leicester team that we're missing so many players, that's disappointing. A defeat away to West Ham isn't bad, but it's still a bit disappointing. And then obviously there's there's six draws there against the other teams in the top four. So failing to beat any of them is a bit disappointing. Two draws with City, two with Chelsea, two with Spurs. But I think it's the other four results. Of, of the 10 games in which they dropped points, it's West Ham away, Leicester away. Those defeats and then the draws to Brentford and Brighton, that's where the title was lost, those four games. 
The fact that Liverpool conceded the same amount of goals as City is is impressive. The fact that Liverpool lost the least games in the league, only two, I think that's impressive as well. But too many draws. Eight draws, it's the, the Brentford and Brighton ones that are just the cherry on the cake of, of disappointment. But I still think when you factor in everything else they did this season, getting to a Champions League final, winning both domestic cups, going further than anyone ever has in the pursuit of a quadruple. I think it has to be an A season. I don't think there's any way to really argue against it. It does feel a bit disappointing in the aftermath. But you have to remember that in terms of the Premier League, Liverpool were never favourites to win the Premier League. At the start of the season, a lot of people had them down to finish third behind City and Chelsea. So... They've obviously done much better than that. They were only ever top at the end of one match week. That was match week six. Liverpool drew at Brentford going into, I'm sorry, at the end of September. And that's the last time they were top. It's the only time they were top this season. Game week six. So they've always been playing catch up. You know, they've been second for most of it. They were fourth for one week after losing to West Ham. They were third for a few weeks when they had a couple of iffy iffy results. Um, the defeat to Leicester, the draw away to Chelsea. But they've just been consistently second. And they end up second. But when you get 92 points, you only draw or you only lose two games. You've got the joint best defensive record in the league. You score 94 goals and you do what they did in the other competitions. I think it has to be an A. They've got a very important summer coming up. They've got Four needs. One of them has been addressed. They needed one more depth body and attack because Minamino's likely leaving and Origi's gone. Carvalho coming in from Fulham is, a, I think, a tremendous signing for a player of his talent and age. So they get him in. They've got to find a backup for Trent because that's an area of weakness. Whenever James Milner has to play there, it's disastrous. Joe Gomez can do a job, but he struggles going forward at times. But they need two starters. They've got to address the third spot in midfield. Fabinho's great. Thiago's great. When he's not there, Naby can play that position. And he's very, very good. But that third midfield spot was problematic all season long. It cost them points this season. They've got to address it. They've got to upgrade on Jordan Henderson. And with Sadio Mane going, they've got to sign a starting striker. They've got to get a starting striker in the door. So that could be a Darwin Nunes, a Victor Simeon, a Christopher, uh, Christopher Nkunku if they want to go with a false nine type. They've got to address that. So three players needed after Carvalho. But all things considered, it's a very good place for Liverpool to be in. And I would expect that next season it's them and City above everybody else again. Yeah, I, I think that's probably likely. It's one of the reasons why Spurs fans were so frustrated with Klopp's extension and Pep kind of voicing that he's comfortable staying there for a few more years as well. As the, the next, probably just two, but potentially two to three years under Conte are going to be our best chance in a while internally to be a club worthy of winning a title. And there might just already be two other clubs that, that are at or already above that level, which uh, is very irritating. But I agree with you. I, I think Liverpool have to be an A. It, it, it kind of, the, the, this whole argument kind of comes down to what Klopp said about having a parade when they were like, are you going to have a parade even though you just lost the Champions League? He was like, yeah, 
we still won two things. Mm. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. still huge. Um, it is a double rather than the double. I've had great debate with some of my friends here saying that it shouldn't be counted as a double at all. It was like double means two. They won two. Yes, things. that's that's the thing. Double does mean two. <laughs> and here's the thing, right? When Arsenal won the same cup double thirty years ago, it was the biggest thing going. They were lauded for years. They spoke about it for years (laughs) afterwards. That season Liverpool have just had is more successful than any season Arsenal, and it's mostly Arsenal fans who want to chirp about this thing, by the way. It's more successful than any season Arsenal have had since they went unbeaten in the league. It's more success than any season Manchester United have had bar one since Ferguson left. It's certainly Are you not more counting the Community the Shield the Europa League treble? No. no, the Community Shield is not a trophy. It's a pre-season <laughs> friendly. I will give them the Europa League League Cup double, which they called a double, by the way. They called it that, not anybody else. They tried to call, claim it as a treble. But other than that one season, they've not had as, as good a season as Liverpool have had. And remember, the year they won those Cups... They finished sixth in the Premier League, mm. not second. So was it even as good? No. Um, it's better than any season, with respect, that Spurs have had in, well, 40 years, really? Let's be honest, 40 I mean, if years. If you're comparing it to doubles, it's been a while. <laughs> you know, uh, it's better than any season West Ham have had anything that Leicester have done since their title win, and it's better than anything anyone else in the league has done. So... Look, it's not the double we wanted. It's certainly not the two trophies we would have picked if we could have picked two of them. But it's still more than anyone else did, um, other than City. So no English club can really chirp at Liverpool this this season. No club has ever gotten that close to a quadruple. And it, it just strikes at the heart of where certain other clubs like United and Arsenal are. I mean, Arsenal are 18 years since a title. 18 years. Now, I know for clubs like Spurs, it's been longer than that, but when Arsenal finished unbeaten that season and won the league, did anybody look at the landscape of English football and think, well, in 18 years' time, Arsenal won't have gotten even close to doing this again? No. You know, when United won their last title under Ferguson, did anyone look at it and say, yeah, United aren't going to be contenders in any year for the next nine? No. So when people talk about, you know, Liverpool won title under Klopp, yada, 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 I point out, look how long it's been since Arsenal won the league. Look look how long it's been since United were good. Ferguson's first seven years at United weren't nearly as good as Klopp's first seven years at Liverpool, despite the fact that Ferguson outspent everybody in the league for seven years. In fact, for the first 17 years he was there, he spent more than anybody else. So, you know... I can take the chirping from City fans. You won the league, but how did you do in the, your, the the Champions League? Did you get to the final? No, you didn't. So, hush. <laughs> I'm happy with my season. I'm happy with my season. That's fair. Uh, I, I think we've done, you know, really, really a big disservice to Chelsea, who won uh, a double with the Champions League and, and Club Club World Cup. No, okay. All right, yeah. But I that's the thing. Point. They were celebrating that at the start. Of the, all I heard from Chelsea fans was, when when Tuchel wins the league this season, he'll have matched Klopp's legacy in England. And well, how did that didn't. work out? How did that <laughs> work out? He finished 19 points off top, 18 points behind us. 
Uh, you didn't get to the Champions League final. You got knocked out by the same club that beat us. Mm. And we beat you in both cup finals. So, you know, push. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll move on to what I'm sure is another very clear, very easy A, um, which is Manchester City. And that's obviously not a reference to the movie, uh, but <laughs> that's also good. Um, but yeah, Manchester City has to be an A. I didn't go for a plus. Um, same reason that I didn't really give uh, Liverpool a minus um, because uh, of, of European stuff. But uh, overall, I mean, it's just it's just a really good season. I, I I mentioned it in the January show as well that we did. But uh, this, this is the club I just have to eat like absolutely the most crow on this season. I said anywhere that would have me in the offseason that picking Grealish over Kane would cost City the title this season. And it, it almost did. Uh, almost um obviously with with uh tottenham's two wins over city you mentioned that they had three losses on the year and the two of them were us um and uh kane obviously scored a brace for the for the second one um so i was i was pretty confident in that obviously it goes to the final day they end up just pipping you guys to the title but the, I just didn't think the striker list thing that they'd used for most of the previous season with Aguero's injuries and stuff was going to work out long term. Um, they played Jesus probably more than I expected, but even when they did, they kind of did it out wide. A lot of times they tried like Foden through the middle or, or other options. So I, I just didn't think it would work again. And it obviously very much did. Um, league best in goals scored. You mentioned tied for league best in goals conceded with you. Um uh, unlike, uh, well, I guess with the one exception being Tottenham under Pochettino, the year that Chelsea with Conte won the title, as I internally cry here, if you have the league's best attack and defense, you're probably going to win the title. Um, and that's obviously what happens here. And from there, already adding Julian Alvarez in January, who it does sound like is going to come. Sounds like all those those uh, French rumors are just kind of nonsense. Uh, obviously, bringing in Holland, which if they don't announce his signing with that like couch photo with him with the ball between his feet, I don't know what they're even doing. Uh, that's that's going to be really scary pretty quickly. Um, uh, th- there's a slight chance that you know readjusting the the front line that heavily in one offseason could lead to a slow start this year, maybe. But I'm I'm pretty worried that, as you say, it's just probably going to be City and Liverpool 1-2. And then I'm optimistic that it'll be Tottenham as a clear three. But time will tell in that regard. Um, in terms of what they could do to strengthen, I think the only thing I'd really think that they should do is maybe sign a left back. So they don't have to keep messing around with Cancelo uh, on the left. Which he's been fantastic in, by the way. He just shouldn't have to do it. Kyle Walker's getting older. Uh, Zinchenko, obviously, with all the Ukraine stuff going on right now, everybody has a really big soft spot for. And I think he has improved, um, but he's pretty clearly the weakest of that starting 11 when he's in there. Um, so I, I think left back could be a place where they where they adjust. But yeah, I'm, I'm just pretty worried that they're going to be favorites again heading into next year. Maybe Liverpool can get there, but you're going to have changes to your front line as well. So I can't yeah. really use that as a reason <laughs> that, that they'd slip behind you guys. So... We'll see. Uh, like I said, it's an A. They, they've won the league title four out of five years. You're not wrong. One they ran away with, two were close. Um, and, and then the other one was the, was the year that uh, you guys had that really big injury uh, issue. But it, it's it's just wild how good they've been over, you know, basically since Pep's second season. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. It's a great run. Their down season was 1920. Um uh, having won back-to-back titles, we we ran away with the league that year. 
Uh, and then obviously they bounced back last year and then they won the league again this year. I mean, look, I, I don't know how many Manchester City listeners you have, um, but I know I'm on this podcast rarely, so I can be a little bit more open and honest about certain things. And this is a victory for sports washing, Kev. I mean, it is. It, it's a victory for breaking the sustainability rules of the Premier League. Nobody believes that their finances are what they claim them to be. And they're a club who signed a player for £100 million, who was, by any measure, a flop, and yet they could win the league. If if you signed a player for £100 million, or we signed a player for £100 million, and they flopped, it would be catastrophic. Not just short-term, but long-term. But they can just absor- you know, absorb that and move on. The last day of the season, they're 2-0 down at home to Aston Villa clearly struggling in attack and he doesn't even look to bring on the hundred million pound man. He just leaves him sitting on the bench. Like no one else can do that. So winning the league for city. Yes, it's impressive. And yes, it's absolutely an A season, but I, I still think in a way internally, they're going to be disappointed because their whole setup is to win the champions league. And they failed again to do that. And no one will convince me that we weren't the best team in England this season. We won both Cups and finished a point behind them in the league. We went further than in the Champions League. No one will convince me we weren't the best team. And yes, they've won the league, and congratulations to them. But I think we're a better team than they are. And they've got Haaland coming in. They've got Alvarez coming in. Haaland's a terrifying prospect, obviously. 6-4, lightning quick, built like a tank. Absolute bastard of a, of a left foot, but does he fit how they play? Really? They're just going to change sure how they does. play again, I assume. So yeah, they're going to change how they play. So how long is that adjustment going to take? What does that mean for Jack Grealish? Where, where does he fit now in a, a re, redesigned team? Is he the left winger in a 4-2-3-1? If so, where's the service coming for Haaland, obviously De Bruyne, but you're going to have to have service out wide. So, again, is, is Grealish even going to be in the team next season? I don't think he is. He didn't get in their best 11 this season. Well, Jesus played a lot of minutes season. wide if he goes and they keep, play, keep playing Bernardo in central midfield. I mean, there, there might be. If you're playing there. a two-man midfield and it's Bernardo and Rodri and De Bruyne is one of the, uh, the three behind and Phil Foden is another mm, one. True. Is Grealish playing right wing? Is he in over Mares, over Sterling? Mm. I don't think he is. So, you know, like I said, they can absorb a £100 million failure. And I'm sure he'll be better next year. And all the City fans have told me, all Pep signings are better in, in year two. And that's fine. But he needs to be a hell of a lot better to come close to justifying that kind of fee. And again, no one else can do that. Like, they were going to sign him and Kane last summer and try and make out that they were keeping within the FFP rules, which just aren't true. So it's an A for City, but I'm not impressed. I'm not overly impressed. I think this summer they've got Haaland in, they've got Alvarez. I agree with your point on Kyle Walker, but I think if Walker's finished, they need to buy a right back with pace. Because mm. otherwise, Luis uh, Ruben Diaz is going to get exposed. I think Canseo is actually better at, on the left because he's more comfortable coming in field. Yeah, as yeah. a playmaker, I would look for a backup right back 
and probably a backup left back and move Zinchenko into midfield. But that backup right back should probably be a future starter. Move Zinchenko into midfield as one of your eights where he's much more comfortable and he's a better player. And they, they need to find a replacement for Fernandinho. They've got to find a backup for Fernandinho. If they, if they get those things sorted this summer, their squad will be incredible. Top to bottom, it'll be incredible. But until they win the Champions League, internally, I will guarantee you they don't see it as a success because the whole thing is set up to win that competition. Yeah. Same with PSG. And they just both keep winning leagues, although in PSG's case, uh, failed last year. But well, but, but look at PSG. Like They won the league title this season, and they may well sack the manager. They've won multiple league titles and sacked the manager off the yeah. back of it because the goal is Champions League. And for, for this group of City, the goal is Champions League. you have to have a good team to win the Champions League. You can't just yes. accumulate talent to win the Champions League. No, you League. can't just have stars. At least with Pep and City. One thing I'll always give them credit for, like I look at Abramovich and I see what he's done at Chelsea has been very frantic, you know, jumping from one manager to the next. No improvement in terms of the stadium. Yes, their academy is tremendous and their training ground is tremendous. But what have they done with their stadium, the community and their future? There's a lot of big questions there. With City... You look at the Etihad campus, you look at the... I know they don't own the stadium, but they've got a lease forever on it. You look at the regeneration of that area. You look at their team and how well planned everything is. You look at the recruitment department, which Chelsea don't really have. You look at just how well set up as a structure City are, where Pep could leave tomorrow and they could appoint a manager who might not be as good as Pep, because very few are, but could have the same type of success because the structure is so good. Like if they were to say sack Pep, and let's just say they brought in Pochettino, who's clearly a step down as a coach, Mm. but a very good coach, with the support he'd have around him, with the recruitment staff. Similar philosophical background. Exactly. I I think he could have a lot of domestic success with them. They could bring in Zidane who probably would go on and win a Champions League with them. Because, I mean, there's question marks over Pep in the Champions League. There has to be at this point. He's never won a Champions League without Messi. I mean, that's that's a little bit damning. A little bit damning that he hasn't won without Messi. Despite taking over the reigning European champions in Bayern, spending a lot of money, and then taking over City and spending a billion quid. And... The other thing that's a question mark on Pep is how good is his recruitment? Like, how good is it really? All that money spent and the two best players of the Pep Guardiola era at City are Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling, both of whom were there before he got there. Other key players include Aguero, Company, Silva, all of whom there before him. Fernandinho there before him. You know, he spent all this money. Some of it's been questionable. Some of it's been very questionable and Grealish highlights that, but they can afford to do it. Anyway, I'll give yeah. them an A. All right. Well, that was a, a fair amount of criticism levied at Manchester City. I can only imagine what you have in store for famed historical rivals, Manchester United. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where do you even start? Look, for all I said about City, they're, they're, at least they're a great team. You know, United have spent money just as well as, well, just as just as much as City, but where City have spent a lot of it well. United have spent almost all of it badly. And 
it's the worst season they've had in the Premier League era. You know, it's the lowest points total ever. Uh, they finished with a goal difference of zero, which is embarrassing. Only 57 goals scored. Less than City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham and Leicester. More goals conceded than all of the top five, plus West Ham, plus Brighton, Wolves, Crystal Palace and Burnley. Like it, it's just, it's horrendous. And especially when you factor in at the start of the season, you had United fans and certain people in the press and the media telling us, well, United are going to be title contenders. And Gary Neville trying to sneak them into a conversation about the four best teams in Europe early in the season. 85 million euro on Sancho, 50 million on Varane, 20 million on Cristiano. Add-ons galore on all deals, wages absolutely out of control. And it was all just a big disaster. Like, they scraped through, well, they, they topped the group in the Champions League, but they were really poor in most of the games. They, as I said, finished sixth in the Premier League, the worst ever points tally. They went out of the League Cup in the first round. They went out of the, or I think it was the second round as it was, or third round, whatever. They, their first round. They went out of the FA Cup to a lower league opposition in the fourth round. All across the board, it's just disastrous. And the thing is, there's a narrative that without Cristiano, where would they have been? Well, without Cristiano, they were second. And the season before that, they were top four. So without Cristiano, they were better. Yes, he scored a lot of goals for them, but I've said before, he is both arsonist and fireman. He came in, his unwillingness to do anything off the ball, his unwillingness to do anything for the good of the team, put them in situations where they were in games late on needing a goal to get a draw or drawing with bad teams and needing a goal for a win. And then he pops up with the victory goal and gets all the, the acclaim. But the only reason they were in that situation is because of him to begin with. It, all told, it's just a mess. And there's problems everywhere. Like, De Gea was voted their player of the year. I don't know what the basis for that was. Conceded 57 goals in the league. And means they can't play anything other than a deep block defensive line because he won't leave a six-yard box. They spent 50 million on Wan Bissaka. He's lost his place. They need to buy a right back. They spent 80 million on Harry Maguire. And he's a, he's a calamity at this point. Uh, Luke Shaw had a massive step back season after a very good season in 2021. They still don't have anything resembling a midfield. Bruno Fernandes, who'd carried them for the previous 18 months, became international team Bruno, where he is always worse playing with Cristiano. Sancho didn't hit the ground running. Rashford had a massive step back year. Martial had a massive step back year. Nobody was better than they were the previous season, other than maybe Anthony Alanga. You can't really be relying on, he's a young winger. Those type of players are always hit and miss. Obviously the Mason Greenwood situation didn't help. They sacked Oli. And they brought in Ralph Ranyak. Now, I said at the time, this is a bad move. Now, everybody wanted you to believe that this was the guy who was the, the 
godfather of gegenpressing, pressing. And this is the guy that Klopp and Tuchel look up to. And it was all nonsense. This was a guy who hadn't been a full-time coach in over a decade. He had two spells, two one-year spells managing RB Leipzig. By his own admission, most of the coaching was done by his staff because he was also the sporting director. And that's where his focus was, was running the club. He left most of the coaching to others. And United thought, this is the guy. We'll bring him in. They've been screaming out for a sporting director for years. They hired the best available sporting director and make him the coach. And it's no surprise it was and a mess. And they are really a sporting director because he's no. already gone. Because he's gone. Because they don't want a sporting director because it's jobs for the boys at United. And John Murtaugh is in the inner circle. He came into the club with Moyes. He's cozied up to Ferguson. And Ferguson is still wielding a lot of power at the club. All of the decision makers are yes men to the Glazers. There's no football. There's no people in, in footballing roles that are qualified for them. Like Darren Ferguson is the technical director. Ralph Ranick was asked what, his jo- what Darren Ferguson's job was. And he said, I don't know. I don't know what he does. And, you know, Ranić was never going to stay. So when Ranić was at Lokomotiv Moscow as sporting director, and it wasn't going well, and Moscow were happy to lose him, but he had about two and a half years left on his contract. So for United to get him, they had to basically agree to make up the years. So six months as coach, and then two years as a consultant. But Ranić was clever. He didn't sign a consultancy contract himself. He signed a consultancy contract between United and his consultancy company. So he was going to work for them like a month or two, a day or two a month. He wasn't going to be working full time and he wasn't going to have any decision making powers. And as soon as the Austrian job came up, he just jumped at it. So it's all been a mess. They have gotten Eric Ten Hag. Um, there's obviously a lot to be excited about with Eric Ten Hag. His IX teams have been good. They've played good football. But there's a weird narrative that he's this young, up-and-coming manager. Uh, he's older than Pep Guardiola. So he's not a young manager. He's just largely an inexperienced manager. There's so much that needs to take place at United this summer. I've got them down as needing five players just to become a Champions League team again. A starting right-back, a starting centre-back to partner Varane, and two starting centre midfielders, as well as a backup goalkeeper if Dean Henderson leaves. That's not getting them the title. That's just getting them back into the top four. Because if Cristiano is playing as your nine next season, you're not winning anything. You're just not. So there's a huge rebuild need that United, and and they're not going to do it the right way. Like the right way to do it will be to take two steps backwards, take five steps forward, to completely tear it down, to see off, Obviously, it helps that Pogba and those have left. But, I mean, Pogba kind of encapsulates all that's been wrong at United. They're well over $200 million in the hole on him. And he leaves for nothing, having had one good season. Ideally, you'd want to rid yourself of Maguire, rid yourself of De Gea, rid yourself of all the overpaid, underperforming players and all of the players that have caused a toxic dressing room and start fresh, rebuild with... A, f- a fun young team with, you know, go and get yourself a Wesley Fafana if he decides that he wants to leave Leicester. You know, if not this summer, then next summer. Go and get yourself a 
Jules Kunde. Go and get yourself Yosko Gvardiol. Get these type of players. Bastoni, if he's available. Get him. Stop trying to hit those sort of, you know, those doubles where it's an immediate success, but it's also putting a ceiling on where you can get to. Like, if you can spend 60 million on Pau Torres or 50 million on Bastoni, yes, Pau pa- Torres right now is a better defender, but in two years, Bastoni will be well above him and still improving, whereas Pau Torres will have peaked. They're going to do it the wrong way. You know they're going to do it the wrong way. They're years and years from being a, a, a title contender again. Even the two two seasons they finished second since Ferguson left, they never came close to the title. And it's five years now without a single trophy. If Ten Hag can win a League Cup next year, that'll be a success. But for me, this season, for them, is an F because of how much they've spent, how, what cost has gone into this team, and what the expectations among the press and their fan base was. It's got to be an F. Yeah, I've, I've given them an F as well. Sorry to have interrupted you in the middle of it. But, but it's honestly shocking to me that... They were willing to bring in a manager that they knew wasn't that great of a manager anymore, but was a great director of football. We'll give him six months. That'll be his way into the club. And then long-term, he'll be our director of football. And then as soon as he hired a manager, he bounced. That is just wild to me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I think you can really track this moment. And and for Spurs, who we'll get to later, all down to that Manchester United win against Tottenham uh, in, in the fall last year. Because if... United lose that match to a Nuno Tottenham where all the stats were terrible and had been for like a month. You probably sack Solskjaer and then you probably try to go get Conte, although there were some reports that Ronaldo would have refused it. But if if like a 38-year-old Ronaldo is capable of making a decision on who your manager is, you have way bigger problems. But um, if they get Conte then and they have the second half that Tottenham have, they're in the top four. We're not even having this conversation. They probably finish third with the talent that they have. Um, but that's that's just wild to me. But that <laughs> let's bring in a director of football as manager instead of director of football, and now he isn't even our director of football is just insane to me. How they handled Lingard was just atrocious this whole season. Pogba and Cavani just walking out the door on freeze. It feels like Rashford has regressed. Who knows if we ever see Mason Greenwood play football again, let alone at United. Um, you mentioned Ronaldo. Yes, that's that's technically the bright spot. Top five in goals, shots on target, expected goals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what else does he really help the rest of the team with? I mean, it, yeah, it, it has to be an F. And I like Ten Hag a lot, but it, we we we're just talking about City, right? And how how structured the club is. So as long as you're like halfway decent, you can plug them in, and you know they'll find success. United is the opposite of that, and Ajax is maybe an even better example of that. Where you just kind of could have nameless faces churning through that IX managerial seat. And because of how the club operates, you're still going to find success. You're still probably going to be yes. the best team in Dutch football. Frank De Boer won four league titles there. Yep. And I wanted him over Pochettino, which shows what the heck I know. Um, well, the thing with United is, and you're right, with Ten Hag, he's come from Ajax where he is just the head coach and has to worry about nothing else. If he needs something... The person he's asking to do it is best in class. So if he's asking the medical department for an update, he's getting it from the best people. If he's asking the recruitment staff to do something, he's talking to the best people. The same way above him, like Mark Overmars has flaws as a human being, obviously, but he was a very good sporting director. And he was very accomplished in terms 
terms of building a team around the manager to basically build like a, a, a bubble around the manager where the manager didn't have outside noise. Everything that went to him was just what he needed and nothing else. United won't be like that. United is going to be frantic. There's not best in class people at any level. Like they don't have the best in any single department, not one single department. Recruitment-wise, medical-wise, whatever you want to look at, analytics-wise, they're they're centuries behind where Liverpool and City are. Like Liverpool have invested heavily in getting the very best people off the pitch. While some fans and including like throw-in coaches and set-piece yes. coaches, we've got there's there's neuro eleven there's who are psychology coaches who work with the first team. There are people who use AI to determine how many games and how many minutes players should play across a season. Liverpool invest substantial amounts of money behind the scenes. United don't. It's the the cheapest option everywhere. And then all the money is thrown at the playing staff when it's been proven. That's not the best way to do things. So, look, they're they're a club going in the wrong direction. And I I do feel for Ten Hag. Because I think if he'd stayed at Ajax another year... I think he might have gotten the city job. I think he would have been top of their list to replace Pep. And that's the job where you walk in and everything's ready for you. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, it's an effort this year. Where it goes next year, time will tell. Uh, if the exact opposite end of the spectrum have to be Newcastle, who I've given an A to. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned sports washing with Manchester City. Obviously, that's happening with Newcastle. Can't really have this conversation without it, but not an expert in that field outside of just saying, uh, yep, that's what's happening with the Saudi private investment fund. That to the side. Um, I would like to thank them for their incredible contribution towards Tottenham getting top four. Uh, so all of this might be super biased. How much does that victory over Arsenal bump up the grade? Well, it's an A, so... <laughs> it's about as high as it could go. Uh, so yes, this is, this is all going to be quite biased uh, for me. Not only because Jake's a good friend and also helps... Uh, on the show with me here at EPL Roundtable, but also because they helped out Tottenham a great deal. Also, if anyone can hear this, my dog is sighing as loudly as physically possible in the background. So if you hear that, apologies. Um, But uh, that to the side, coming into the year, I think most people had them pegged for relegation. Uh, You and I actually didn't. On the transfer show, I think both of us uh, were pretty confident that with the talent that they had, they were probably going to be fine even with Steve Bruce, and kind of in that classic three worst teams kind of scenario. Uh, well, as it turned out, there were, what, eight, nine worst teams, um, <laughs> all things told. But obviously, a big part of that was was these three massive, but obviously related things that happened all around the same time, which was the Saudi buyout, the swapping of Bruce for Eddie Howe, and signing basically four or five, depending on, on your views, starting quality players in January. Um, impossible to split those all from each other because none of them happened without the other two. But uh, we've been pretty harsh on Eddie Howe on this show, both as a manager and on his absolute lust for backup Liverpool players. I'm stunned that Divock Origi is not heading uh, up to Newcastle. Um, But I actually think he's done a really, really good job this season. And, And a lot of it will be overshadowed by the money 
by the players that were brought in. But I just wanted to give him a, l- a little bit of credit for, for the job that he's done. And, and I think it'll be a really big shame when they ditch him in like a year for Mourinho or whatever massive name manager they feel better matches their project. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, a little bit as well. Um, they had 12 wins in 2022. That's obviously post how who I yeah. think came in either in late November or early December. Obviously, their signings took place over all of January. I think Trippier was the first one, and he was pretty early in the month. But they had 12 wins in 2022. They had one win before the turn of the year. Like, that is an insane turnaround. Even with all of those circumstances, that has to be better than even they were hoping for. An 11th placed finish after being in the relegation zone around Christmas. Like, that is just absolutely wild. (laughs) Obviously, the players that came in, um, Trippier made his first start, but then got hurt pretty soon after. Woodburn and Target basically started every match the remainder of the time. It took Bruno Gimaresh a, a second to get into a starting spot, and then obviously once he did, he was never going to let it go. I mean, I, any argument over whether or not he's immediately their best and most talented player? No, none at all. It's, yeah, it's it's a very clear one. And a bun- so he's like an A and everybody else a C's. <laughs> yeah. I'll give St. Maximin a little bit of credit. He he got a little more no, in product this no, year. But... No, 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 no. Okay. No, I just like step overs, I guess. And the, and Alistair Gold, by the way, reporting the yeah, scores no, have a lot it. of interest in him today. <laughs> Awful. Awful. <laughs> All the talent in the world, no end product, no clue of what it is to play in a team. Like He would never fit in the Conte system. system. That is a wild rumor. Oh. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it might be his agent starting to put the word out because maybe, like, I think when, when Newcastle are good, he's not going to be part of the team. But, yeah, he'll be fine for next season, I suppose. Him, and, like, massive credit to Howe for the Jolington glow-up. Yes, absolutely. The central the midfielder the conversion. Midfielder, he was monstrous. Yeah, I, I, I had it written down here, and, and I actually um, brought it up to Jake before, like, pretty early. That I was like, are they trying to do a, a Musa Dembele, who obviously was a center forward in the Netherlands, wasn't really successful, switched to like attacking midfield briefly, and then became a true central midfielder for Fulham before obviously being just a dominant midfield force uh, for Tottenham the, the last two or three years of his career there. And this does feel like that, although I think he he is a little bit more attacking uh, in the like of the box to box midfield like stereotype. I, I think he has more going forward than going backward, but. I mean, it, 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 that has been a true massive transformation for them. Um, and then you pair him with Gimaresh. I mean, the fact that John Joe Shelby is still starting regularly is a nightmare. And I do wonder what's going to happen to Joe Willick. Do you start playing him on the right side more now that Joe Linton is kind of playing in the front of your, your midfield three? Do you change the tactics to make sure you can fit both of them in? Um, in which case, you know, you mentioned Ndidi earlier as a player United could use. If you want to play Joe Ellington and Willick at the same time in your central midfield, just plug Ndidi behind them so they never have to look back and just let both of them get forward. Um, but anyway, yeah, the Joe Ellington thing, yes, I absolutely credit to both him as a player and, and to Eddie Howe for spotting that and trying it. Um, we've both kind of mentioned that right side for now. I, I think that's where the biggest need probably is. You can't really rely on Fraser Forster. Fraser Forster, oh my gosh. Ryan Fraser uh, at this stage in his career. Also, he's far more comfortable on the left anyway. They're being linked with Musa Diaby, which I think would be a great signing, but he's also more comfortable on the left. So I'm just like, how many left-sided players are you trying to, to aim for here? Um, but that would just be absolute theft considering Leverkusen made the Champions League. But, you know, the other mega-rich clubs, when it first happens, they, they 
tend to get a marquee guy in. I think you and I probably think it was already Bruno Gimmarech, but a lot of people won't know that. So they, it might take a striker or a high-profile winger for people to realize well, you know, the the direction that this project is going. But anyway, for me, I, I think this season's an A. I, I think that they're going to challenge for top four stuff next year is way too premature. There's a chance they battle for that, like, European Conference League spot. I, I guess a slight chance they get up to Europa League. But that would take so many changes that I think it would disrupt how they perform this season as they all bet in. But, you know, they did a pretty good job of it in January. But yeah, it's an A for me next year. But I wouldn't expect, you know, anything much more than than top 10, top 8 next year. I still think they're two years away from being a real Europa League team. Um, I think there's a lot that needs to take place. Like this summer, just for them to become a top half team. Because, look, they've had a really good second half of the season. Uh, but the team that was there in the first half of the season is still there. And there's a reason they won one game out of whatever it was, 15 or something. They had an excellent second half of the season. There's no denying that. I think... I think up to the little stutter that they had, maybe three, four games from the end, they had the second most points in the Premier League from January 1st yeah, after Liverpool. So that's that's impressive. But, you know, it's still a team that conceded 62 goals over a season. They only scored 44 over the season. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's still a lot to be to be fixed there, and I think it's a big job for Eddie Howe. Um, I I genuinely hold my hands up. I thought they'd go down when we did the January transfer review. I, I, when we did the Bruce transfer review at the, at the end of the summer, I thought they'd be all right, like in that bottom half somewhere, you know, safe but not not exciting. When we did the one in January, I thought they were going to go down because to me the signings they made just weren't enough. Now. I was very high on Gamerish, and he was the star of the show, but I wasn't high on Chris Wood, and he didn't exactly light the world up for them. Uh, Dan Byrne did better than I expected, but Kieran Trippier barely played. I mean, Emil Kraft was outstanding at right back, and that was during their really good run of form with Emil Kraft at right back. But I think all credit has to go to how they were brave in appointing him rather than looking for, you know, a big name. I know they tried to get Emery in first, but still, when they went with Eddie Howe, it was a gamble, and it paid off. And it paid off for him as well to take the gamble to go there. Like I said, I think ahead of next season, there's quite a bit to do. They had Matt Target on loan. If he's not staying, they need to buy a left-back or they need to buy him. 
They probably need an upgrade in goal. I, I, it's not a necessity, because I do think Dubravka is decent, but they st- seem to want an upgrade in goal. I think they need two centre-backs, because if you're rolling into a Premier League season with Fabian Schaar and Dan Byrne, I, I do think you'll have trouble over the season. Teams will see... A, like You have to remember as well, a lot of teams, when they start preparing for the team they're going to play that season, they start that prep work in the summer. So game plans for certain games are already been developed in the summer based on what happened last season. When you make a managerial change, one of the reasons you get a new manager bounce, so it's obviously, excuse me, it's obviously the lift your players get. It's also because the opposition have to throw out what their game plan was because your style of play will have changed. Teams will have seen what Newcastle are under Eddie Howe now, and I think they'll be more prepared for it next season. So I do think it's going to be tougher for them against a lot of the mid-table teams. But uh, I think a starting holding midfielder is definitely a necessity. I'd play a holding midfielder with Gamerish and Jolington. That'd be my midfield three. I'd have Willock as the backup for Jolington. And maybe, I don't know, Longstaff as the backup for Gamerish. Different type of player, but you know you need a role for him. And they need a starting right winger. I, I think... They're bringing in Ekatiki. He's a long-term project. There should be no pressure put on him. He's the one signing that they seem to have pretty much wrapped up. But they've got to get a starting winger in. Someone that can get them goals. Callum Wilson's a good nine, but he won't get you 20 goals. So Maximum's not going to get you 20 goals. You've got to get someone in on that that right-hand side who's going to get you frequent goals, who can combine with Trippier down that side, combine with Gamerish down that side. Because that's going to be... The main source of your creativity is down that right-hand side. Get that right winger, starting defensive midfielder to hold together, two centre-backs. A left-back is just a necessity for them. And then if they want to upgrade the goalkeeper. It's a lot. It's the most starters I have any team needing moving forward. But it's also because there's so much ambition at Newcastle that I think next season they will want European football. I don't think there's going to be a slow build here. I think they're going to want to go quite quickly and try and get themselves in among the upper echelon of the Premier League. So to get to that level, which is Europa League, I think it's six signings. If they do half of that, it's a good summer and it'll stand them in good stead, but it's got to be the right half. Like you've got to get that holding midfielder, at least one at centre-back and that left-back because it's problematic. You can't go the next season with Paul Dummett as your left-back. You just can't. Um, but yeah, I'll give them a I'll give them a B plus. I still I have to knock points off because the first half of the season happened. Like at the end of the day, it did happen. <laughs> so I've true. got to I've got to acknowledge that as well. And in fact, it's actually it's a B, not a B plus. I'll give them a B because I think it was probably an A under Howe from January, but prior to that, it was so bad. Even under Howe for the first six weeks, it was so bad that you have to factor that in as well. I'll give them a B. Um. Right, we'll rattle through the next few because there's less uh, less talking to be done here about some of these. Norwich City, relegated, bottom of the league, 22 points, sacked Daniel Fark midway through. Well, actually not even midway through. They sacked him at the same time that Villa moved on from Dean Smith after a handful of games. Brought in Dean Smith. And it never really made much of a difference. I mean, one of the problems with Norwich is they just don't spend enough money. So they come up into the Premier League and they try to do thing on a, things on a shoestring. 
I was impressed by what they did last summer. I thought they made good moves. I like Rashika. I think Angus Gunn is decent. Um, Giannola's had been there and helped them get promoted. It meant it made sense to keep him. It made sense to keep Ben Gibson. Lise Malou is decent. Josh Sargent as your kind of striker addition is a problem because he's not a goal scorer. When he was moved to the right wing and him and Max Ahrens were combining down that side, it, he looked quite good. Uh, and Solis was a flyer on the future. The loans, Gilmore, didn't really work. Williams, I thought, was quite good for them for the most part. Matthias Norman was really important to them, got injured and couldn't recapture the level. And Ozan Quebec wasn't given anywhere near enough opportunity. And again, like with Leeds, if I'm looking at your starting 11 and it's your best 11 and everybody's fit and you've got multiple championship level players in there, I'm afraid I, you're, you're going down. If you've, if you've not got quality to come in. They played Grant Hanley all season. Grant Hanley is terrible. Terrible. They don't have enough goals in this team. They can't keep clean sheets. When the Premier League record reads, 23 goals scored, the worst in the division. 84 goals conceded, the worst in the division. It doesn't matter what you've got in the middle of the park if you're that bad at both ends. Uh, it's an F. It's an F from me. And... Um, no doubt we'll see them back in the Premier League in 12 months because they seem quite happy to be a yo-yo club. So, you know, but it's an F for me. And I I think going into the summer, they're going to lose Max Ahrens. They've got to replace him. That's a starting right back. They need a starting centre-back. It is time to end the Grant, Grant Hanley era. And they need a starting central midfielder to replace Matthias Norman. And then get someone in who can at least challenge Timu Puki. Because Puki will score you goals <laughs> in the championship without question. Well, you've got to get an alternative in there. You can't just Should they just get people. Dwight Gale and have two of the best championship strikers of all time? You know, it's not a bad idea. I was thinking before he tore his ACL that maybe Mattia Vidra would be an option for them. Mm. But, like, you look at Puki, uh, 29 goals in the championship, 11 in the Premier League. 26 goals in the championship, 11 in the Premier League. 11 goals is not bad. It's not a terrible return. Like, he's a better Premier League scorer than, than Gale or Vidra. But that's not enough. If that's your main goal scorer, that's just not going to get the job done for you. Mm. And when you look at the rest of the team, I mean, no one else scored more than two goals in the Premier League. Josh yeah. Sargent scored two goals. They came in one game. Hanley got one. Dowell got one. Norman, Rashika, Lise Malou, McLean, Aday, and Oma Bamadeli. They scored goals. That's it. Oma Bamadeli and Aday getting hurt in the middle of the season did hurt them because both of them were starting to look like really good players for them. But I'm, I'm afraid there's, there's just nowhere near enough goals and the defense is an absolute car crash. So, you know, sell Max Aaron's get a good price from go and replace Grant Hanley, replace Aaron's Giannoulis will be fine in the championship. Gibson is fine in the championship. Oma Bamadeli will be back fit and he's good. I mean, maybe you ring United and say, look, would you sell us Brandon Williams? He's been there. He knows the club. Mm. He's very promising. If you could sell Aaron's for 20, 22 million and get Brandon Williams for seven, rising to 10, something like that, you've made a good profit. The rest of that money can go towards buying you a centre-back, maybe someone like Robert Dickey from QPR. And then you've massively improved defensively because Aaron's a better, or Williams is a better defensive player and Aaron's not as good going forward, but better defensively. Dickey's a huge upgrade at centre-back. 
at least then you give yourself a base to build off. At least you've got a defense that's not going to leak goals. Right. But all things considered, it's an F for them. Yeah, it has to be an F. Uh, my in my notes, I wrote breaking news: championship side goes back to championship. Um, that's that's just kind of how how it felt. It never really felt like they were investing to stay up in the Premier League. Although, like you, I, I think I actually give them a pretty decent grade for their summer business. But yeah, it just it just ultimately wasn't enough. Also, um, losing Skip, I think, was worse for Massive. them than I think people would have anticipated. Because I, st- I still don't think people realize how good Oliver Skip is. Obviously, he started to play late-stage Nuno, early-stage Conte before he got injured. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get ahead of, of Hoybier or Bentancourt now. But I do think that the the ideal pairing when signed was that it was going to be Skip and Bentancourt a long time. Because um, Hoybier is obviously a little bit limited. But kind of like we were talking about in Didi, Hoybier is really good at what he does. The question is just, can you carry a player that's a specialist like that? And if anybody can can manage around that, I'm sure it's Conte. But uh, yeah, Skip was obviously massive for Norwich. I think he was their player of the season in the championship. Mm. Um, he was. And, he and, was indeed. Yeah, and then and then you bring in, like, what's the odds that you bring in a Chelsea Loney and it's like the one that isn't immediately... <laughs> An incredible player, but yeah, tough, tough breaks for for Norwich, but yeah, def, definitely an F. We talked about City, you know, if you lead the league in goals and goals conceded, then you're probably going to win the title. Opposite, obviously, true for Norwich, as you pointed out. Um, next, we'll move to Southampton. I know you said you didn't think we'd be having to, to dive too deeply into these, but I think I need like a personal uh, look inward about how I feel about Ralph Hasenhutl who I'm starting to realize I just may have been wrong on. Because when he joined Southampton, I think both of us, and definitely our Southampton guests at the time, all thought it was like a really good managerial grab. But these are the finishes since he took over. 16th, 11th, 15th, 15th. He's had a negative goal difference in all of them. And this is why I was was talking about Potter before. Like, it's really good for Potter that he got that ninth place finish. Because for some reason, this 11th being Hasenhutl's best ever finish feels much worse than ninth, just because it's double digits, I guess. But every year, it just seems like there's an excuse. There's a reason why it hasn't worked. There's some big defeats. This year's excuse is probably that Ings left. Um, obviously, you, you try to replace him with Adam Armstrong permanently, Armando Broja on loan. But that just wasn't good enough. Obviously, Che Adams, I, I just don't really believe in. At a certain point, the continued lack of success just has to land at Hasenhutl's feet, I think. Um, Ward Prowse had a great season. Don't want to take that away from him. Did he, though? Well, he scored 10 goals, which for a central midfielder is yes. He he covered a lot of distance. How many goals He scored 10 goals. But how many from open play? Oh, like how two? How many open two? play goals? What did he give us in open play this season? There's no doubting Ward Prowse as a set piece taker, free kicks, Specialist, corners, like penalties, we were just talking about. Yeah. is arguably the best in the league. Like you mentioned earlier, Spurs have been looking for a set piece taker. James Ward Prowse as a right wing back for Spurs wouldn't be too bad, <laughs> but as a central midfielder, yeah, like games just bypass him. He's not good enough in a two. And one of the flaws with Hasenhutl is he's too dogmatic in sticking to this shape with a two-man midfield, when he doesn't have the midfielders for it. Like, yeah. Romeo's good, Diallo's good. Ward Prowse is a good player. I'm not saying he's not, but he's not a good player in a midfield two. I agree. And he can't play with both of the other two because then you've got nobody on the bench and they look a bit weird. So, like, you've got to find a better way to use and utilise James Ward Prowse. The other factor is as well, 
Like, the one thing he's great at in open play is he's a phenomenal crosser of the ball. Yeah. But who's he crossing to? Che Adams? Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why I think all the and, issues and are just, actually up front. I think you're right, though. I th- I do think there's a... I'm a big fan, or I was a big fan, of Ralph Hasenhutl as well. But, you know, season after season of mediocrity is, is an issue. Now, I will say, I don't think he's necessarily been backed as he should have been. Like, I know. Especially after the ownership change. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I was hoping there'd be more money. But you look at this past summer, they bring in Livermento for five million. Uh, Perot, I think, cost about eight. They got Armstrong, was that 16 or 17 million? Uh, And Leanco, I think, cost him around 10 million. But they sold Ings Vestergaard. Lamina, Angus Gunn, like they definitely made a profit last summer. You know, that yes. that to me is troubling. When you're making a profit on transfers year after year and not backing your manager to the extent, like they went into this season with three midfielders available to the manager. Three midfielders, Ward Prowse, Romeo and Diallo, and nobody else. That's an issue. That's a big issue. They were... Strong at fullback. They were one short at centre-back. They had two guys in goal. And he admitted he didn't know who the better one was, which means they didn't have a starting goalkeeper. And they were short up front as well. Because, you know, Armstrong, first season in the division, coming off championship. They did bring in Brogia, but he's a young striker. And then Che Adams is, at best, your third or fourth attacker. Like, you would have wanted one more there one more in the wide areas, one more in centre midfield, one more at centre-back and a starting keeper. They're always leaving him short. I've got them down as needing a starting keeper, a starting central midfielder, pushing uh, Ward-Prowse into a more attacking role just to get him more involved, and a starting striker, plus a backup centre-back and a backup central midfielder. That's not even to do anything impressive next season. That's just to maintain not being in relegation scraps. Uh, you yeah. know, there's there's a lot of issues at Saints and it, there's there's not a whole lot that you'd really hang your hat on for the future. I think Salisu's a huge talent. Livermento's a huge talent. If that's the route you want to go down, great. But go down that route. And the other question I have over Southampton is what happened to their academy? Like yeah. That academy used to churn out players. Luke Shaw... Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Theo Walcott, Adam Lalana, like they all came routinely. And now there's one or two, like Will Smallbone might be something, and there's a few that might be something. But was Obafemi from their academy? Obviously moved Mike on to Swans, but... as well. Yeah, and then, again, he didn't make the grade. He's gone. Um, I, I do think there's a level of criticism for Hasenhutl, but I do sympathise with him in that I just don't think he's been backed in any way sufficiently over the last few years. Like, you go back to the previous summer of bringing in Walker, Peters, Salisu and Diallo, but they also sold Heusberg, Harrison Reed, Sophie and Buffal. They they came out about even. They loaned out a whole bunch of players and got loan fees for them. They came out about even. The season before that, the 1920 season, they signed Che Adams, Gineppo, Danny Ings, that was a deal agreed the previous summer. Um, but you know, like Matt Target leaves, Charlie Austin leaves, Jordy Class leaves. They probably spent 
I don't know, 20 million net that summer, 25 million net. But the big deals they did were bringing in Walker Peters on loan and Che Adams. Or, and Che Adams. Danny Ings was done the year before. That was a loan with an obligation to buy. I just don't feel like they've backed. I think we're looking at a Sean Dyche situation with him, Kev, mm. where they're always like a year behind in terms of building their squad. The players they bought last summer, should, like those type of players should have been bought the year before. They're always one year behind trying to play catch up. And eventually, maybe it catches up to them. Maybe next season they can't repeat the trick. And will they stick with Ralph Hasenhutl if if things go badly? I, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm giving I'm giving them a C minus purely on the basis of they weren't really in the relegation fight at all during the season. In fact, mm-hmm. they just weren't in the relegation. I mean, their lowest point of the season they were sixteenth. They were sixteenth in weeks fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Mm. They got as high as ninth, and they end up fifteenth because they lost the last four because they were on the beach for months. <laughs> but they were never in the relegation fight, and I think that's important. But like one win out of your last eleven, that's a concern. Sorry, out of your last twelve, yep. that's a concern going into next season. Yeah, that's exactly what I had. I, I gave them a D because of that that final. Just horrible stretch. I mean, in February, I think they got a couple of decent results. Didn't they beat Tottenham and Arsenal back-to-back? Because Spurs fans were yes. terrified. Because we were like, why did we just lose to Southampton? Then Arsenal immediately did it. And it was like, oh, well, okay, we're level there then. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're always capable of that. They're always capable of showing up on the right day and beating bigger teams uh, in the Premier League. But yeah, consistency has just been terrible. And, and you might be right. Maybe... Well, you're definitely right that they keep buying him players to develop and not players that mm. are good. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe that's right. And maybe that lets me not have to, you know, self-flagellate too much over <laughs> over whether or not Hasenhutl is actually a good manager or not. But would like to see him and them do better. But you're not wrong. They, they, they've been kind of struggling for years now. And uh, you have to sell WordPress this summer. Like this is as high as his value is ever going to get. Because... A lot of people are going to think the way I did. Well, I mean, I obviously watched him a lot. Um, and I was considering the fact that even in open play, his crossing is just superb. But a lot of people will see 10 goals English central midfielder and pay like $30 million. So I, I, I think now is the time that, that you kind of need to move on. Um, and then that can fund the next batch of young players that under-promise under Hassan Noodle. And then they have to move on. Anyway, let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Um it was an adventure. <laughs> we kind of talked about it in the Arsenal section, but uh, ups and downs aplenty for Spurs this year. Obviously came into the season with Nuno Espirito Santo as manager, in case people forget that those like three months happened. Um, when that happened, I said that we would finish somewhere between 6th and 8th, because that's typically where Nuno finished, and because we were a mess last summer. It, it was It was really, really bad, both the approach to the hiring the fact that it changed in the middle of the process Daniel Levy had promised an attack-minded coach in the middle of the offseason realizes he can bring in Fabio Paratici who was obviously one of the most well-known directors of football although obviously had some big misses while he was at Juve and there's some questions about whether or not his former partner was actually the brains of the operation but I think there have been enough successes under Paratici to, to recognize that he was needed at this club and and he's done a relatively decent job thus far but all of that Levy wants an attacking manager. Paratici wants a defensive manager. 
all the the target lists get torn up the 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 potters and the ten hogs and everybody mm. like that get torn up obviously the the primary target was Nagelsmann but because of all the drama that was happening at Bayern all of a sudden that job comes open and you can never expect a, a German manager to turn down the free trophies that you get I, I think Paratici wanted one manager in specific which is why it was a defensive manager. He wanted Conte from day one. Well, yes. So yes. when he couldn't get him, what he did is he went on Wish and he ordered <laughs> Antonio Conte and, and Nuno just turned up yep. and they went, back three? After yes, Gattuso. <laughs> yep. Also, uh, people forget, and I was really surprised he never landed a job. He was close to getting the Atlanta United job, but I like had kind of convinced myself that Paulo Fonseca was actually a really good manager. And then he just didn't land anywhere. Curious to see where his career goes. But yes, you're not wrong. Paratici always wanted Conte. Levy always wanted to not have to pay the money it would take to satisfy Antonio Conte. But his hand was ultimately forced. Because after a very promising start to the season, in which case, again, people may forget, Nuno Espirito Santo was manager of the month for August in the Premier League. Uh, after 1-0 wins against City, Watford, and maybe Wolves? Don't really remember. I, I think that's right, though, because it was the Adama Traore Derby. Um, but anyway, eventually, mistakes were made and then fixed with the actual inevitable hiring of Antonio Conte. Um, even the day we hired him, I don't think it was hoping for top four. He blatantly in an interview said that he wasn't expecting top four either and that he would have laughed at Levy if that had been like a stipulation that he had to reach top four. Um, but thanks to a lot of our players already fitting a system, which Dave, you and I talked about last summer when we were initially interested in, and then definitely once he was hired, was like we were actually weirdly set up for a back three. We were weirdly set up for the 5-3-2 specifically, but that was because I think we both thought Deli Ali would at some point recover some semblance of the player that he was. Obviously, it doesn't happen. He shifted on to Everton. But regardless, the fact that we were able to adapt to Conte's system and automations and everything as quickly as we were, I think, is the reason that we're in the top four. Um, and I, I do think it's one of the reasons that Conte was confident of coming. Also, in case people don't know why Conte said no in the summer and why he ended up eventually coming, one of his demands was that he wanted either Harry Kane to stay or to be guaranteed the Harry Kane money, which we could not promise in the summer. But then by the fall, obviously, we still had Harry Kane. And now Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis, just for a giggle, have decided to invest the $150 million we were asking for Kane just straight into the club in terms of valuations of shares. So that is uh, pretty impressive that Conte ended up getting the money and the player after you know being willing to accept the money or the player after we initially promised neither the money nor the player. But it all ends up being pretty good. Um it did look like we were set for the top four, though. You mentioned earlier that the Spurs really had two or three chances to just, you know, win your games and you're in. I think we the first time we were in the top four was December, right before we lost to Chelsea three times in a row, two, obviously, in the Carabao Cup. Um, but then January happens. We have all those struggles. Our response is, A, Bergvine's absurd double against Leicester, where we were losing in, like, the 90th minute and won by the end of the match. But also the massive signings of Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt, which we we talked about in January, was not the oh Paratici has no ideas, he's just going back to Juventus um terrible narrative that, that was being spouted. Because they both walked in and were immediately starters for us. Well, Bentoncourt more than than Kulisevsky because of Skip's injury, but as soon as they got their starting spots, they never let go. Kulisevsky scored five goals and had nine assists in fourteen starts, which I've seen many people, including Spurs face, say 
you know, he wasn't the signing of January. He was the signing of the season. But here's the thing, Dave. I don't think he was Spurs signing of the season. Because we signed Christian Romero, who I think is the best defender I've ever seen at Tottenham. And that's that's after year one. His level of strength, but subtlety, combined with his technique, his speed, his reading of the game. He's, he's, he's unreal. He, he's, yeah. he's next level good. After a match where I was admittedly a bit inebriated after a, a visit to Denver Spurs. Um, somebody asked me if I thought he was a top three center back in the Premier League. And I said, yes, and he might not be three. He probably is. He's probably behind both Van Dyke and Diaz. But I think what you're seeing is the reason why I think he's in that class. I'm not going to debate overall ability, but the impact that he had was similar to both of them. The second he showed up, Spurs defense improved. Even under Nuno, we were defending well and holding teams to no goals. Eric Dyer and Ben Davis just had their best seasons in recent memory, if not ever, the second he was plugged in. Emerson Royale was a terrible fit for this system and was still good defensively. Matt Doherty was tragic and immediately, well, not immediately, but a few months in, really developed into a player that by the time he got injured, we, we were worried about missing desperately. Some of that is Conte being able to turn literally any functioning human being into a decent wingback. But also, I think it was the impact that Christian Romero had on this defense. To have your smartest defender also be your most athletic defender, also be your bravest defender, also be your best, best header of the ball. Like, there just aren't many of those. So, yes, was I a little drunk and a little too hyped when I said that he's better than one of Diaz or Van Dyke inherently by saying he's top three and not three? Yes. But if you don't think that that's where he is now, that is very easily where he will be this next coming season. I'm, I'm pretty confident of. Um, I think he's two. I think he's two. I think he's a better defender than Ruben Diaz. I think if you put Diaz into this Spurs team, I think it looks hectic. I think you look at Diaz and he makes an awful lot of mistakes. He, he spends a lot of time on the floor, mm. whereas Romero's far more measured. Now, Romero can be a little bit over-aggressive at of times. Course. He's not perfect. But, I mean, for me, he's two. It's it's Van Dyke. I do think there's a gap after Virgil. I think Virgil's just on a different level to everybody else. Then, then I think it's Romero. I, I do think he's a better defender than Ruben Diaz. I think if you put him into that City team, I think he looks like... Costa Curta in his prime. Mm, like there would be no team. doubt that he's already world class. Yes, exactly. Uh, I think he's magnificent. Um, I, there's a lot to like about this Spurs team. You had a, a funny season in that your first 10 games, the Nuno 10 games, you win five, you lose five, and you're 11th in the league. You've got nine points, you're 11th in the league. Mm. Conte comes in, and for your next nine games you win six and you draw three and you look a much better team yep and you get as high as fifth but you end up sixth after that nine games then you have a bad stretch where you lose three in a row but then you beat city was that chelsea burnley southampton chelsea southampton wolves Ooh, you lose all three of them then you beat city away and then you go and lose to burnley a couple of days later (sighs) in a game that made no sense then you beat Leeds, you beat Everton, and then you had a bad defeat away to Manchester United. And that was a bad defeat. Losing to a hat-trick by Cristiano was, was poor. And we were significantly but, the better team in that match, in my opinion. Oh, by far. By far. Like, that that run 
is five defeats and three wins in eight games. That's poor. Oof. So you've had two two poor runs. The first ten, this eight. You've had that middle good run, but you end the season really well and you win eight of your last 11, only one defeat. Now, it's a disappointing defeat at home to Brighton, but still, you win eight of your last 11. You get a draw at Anfield, which was a, you were outstanding on the night. Romero was just sensational. Yeah. And you get yourself fourth. So, like, you only... So Spurs, Spurs finished fourth at the end of five match weeks this season. Match week 30, 31 and 32. <laughs> and then match week 37 and 38. And that's it. Aside from that, you were fifth, you were sixth, you were seventh, you were eighth, you were ninth for two weeks, and you were 11th for one week. And that's it. So you've always been sort of in those European spots and you timed, well, I don't think you did it on purpose, but you, you timed a great last charge into the top four. And that's really impressive. So, like, if you take out the Nuno part of the season, I think you'd give the rest of it probably an A. I, yep. I know you had that bad run in the middle of the season, but I, I still think you'd give Conte's time in charge an A. The Nuno part of it and the messing about last summer with the manager and some of the signings. Right, because the I signings think- were for Nuno. When we knew we weren't yes. invested in him long term, that's the thing. And like, we had a break clause after one year. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it was a farce that he was ever backed at all. But you needed to improve your team. And you know, when you look at the players brought in, Brian Hill, it's a long term investment. It's not a short term thing. Now it hasn't been good early on, but I do think there's a really good player there. Yeah. And I think at worst, if you keep him around next season, him as the backup to Kulisevsky is something that can be worked on and he can be developed. Um, Pape Matarsar is going to be an outstanding midfielder for you in the long run. Emerson Royale is a weird player in that he had moments during the season where he looked really good mm. and moments that looked like he'd won a raffle. I think by the end of the season, when Doherty had gotten injured, obviously it, it felt like the world was crumbling, but... After a couple of games, I did feel like Emerson sort of found a bit of a groove. He did. He his last five matches too- were his best, easily. Yes, exactly. He wasn't trying to take too much out of the ball. He was get- getting it and giving it quickly. He was aggressive in his defensive work. He clearly established a bit of a connection with Romero. And one of the great things about Romero is that he's played right back quite a bit in his career at Genoa. So when your right wing back abandons ship and goes forward. Romero's very comfortable stepping across to be the right back. And he can cover both at the same time because of his athleticism, his anticipation, how he reads the game, how aggressive he is. He's got just this ferocious knack of getting there first. He just has this way about him where without fouling the opposition player, he just physically dominates them to get to the ball first, he, he's phenomenal. He is a building block. You've, you've yeah. had, you have your two building blocks up front in Kane and Son. They're world-class. Kulisevsky completes that three. He is the first real building block at the back. Now, I know Dyer had a good season, but it's Eric Dyer. And we've been here before mm. with Spurs fans trying to convince themselves that Eric Dyer can be a, a long-term fi- fixture. He can't. 
because he's not good enough. If you want to win a title, which is what you bring Conte to do, you're not winning a title with Eric Dyer. I know he won one with the with uh, David Luiz, but David Luiz was elite on the ball. Eric Dyer is decent on the ball. I look at this Spurs team, I think a starting right wing back is going to be a necessity. Yep. You've got to upgrade there. I think you need two starting centre-backs to go with Romero. Are you okay you could, with Bastoni and putting all that money into one player knowing yes. that you can either play if him central him, and Davis yes. left or him left and Dyer central? If it's him or Guardiol, I'm happy with one. What about Buddy Asiel? Is he like just short of that no. for you? Okay. No, he's not on that level because there's still too many errors in his game. He's still a little bit too rash in his defensive work. That's very, fine. very impressive athlete, but... There's a, there's a level with Guardiol and in particular Bastoni that is similar to what we see from Romero. There isn't that level yet with Badia Sheila. Now, obviously, progression isn't linear. Not all players develop the same way. He's got loads of talent, but I think you go for Bastoni. You can't get him. You go for Guardiol. But I would still be looking to bring in someone in that central role, a calm, experienced, older head, Stefan de Vries, is available from Inter. Yep. He won't cost a fortune. Conte loves him. He knows the Conte defense inside and out. Coming off a rough year, though, and his aging. He has had a rough year, but he's had a rough year in a more expansive system under uh, Inzaghi mm. than what Conte. That's was. true. Inzaghi asks a lot more of his centre backs, especially in possession. So if you could get him and get. Um, because the other thing I think you need is a starting central midfielder. Now, I think you could forgo that and address the two centre-backs. Because I do like your midfielders. Like, I like Heusberg. I think he's good. I think Skip has a big upside. Uh, I think Skip could be a Conor Gallagher type of breakout player next season, if mm. given the minutes. Um, I, I like Harry Winks. He he's, he's not a great player, but he's not a bad player. He won't lose you games. He doesn't he win can, them for you, but he, he can manage a game. And he can and back up both positions. Back. Exactly. And Bentoncourt is excellent. Um, you, you you probably need to find that backup striker at some point for Kane. Yeah. But, you know, that's it's one of the hardest things to do because what you're looking for is someone who's good enough to play in a team with title ambitions, but not too good where they'll demand to go elsewhere and be a first-choice starter. What do you like Th- about the player, idea of Nunez because he could be the backup for all of the front three? If you spend £70 million on a backup striker, everybody <laughs> needs to be sacked. Everybody needs to be sacked. It's a, it's the most moronic idea I've heard in months. If you're going to spend big money on someone, go and buy Ivan Tony. If you're willing to spend £40, £50 million on a striker, go and buy Ivan Tony. And He'll bring Ericsson with you. <laughs> and bring Ericsson with you. And Ericsson could be the answer in midfield as well, so that might save you money. But like for me, I'd look at Charles de Ketelier. Of Club Bruges. Love him. Want him so with badly. Kane, with Kane, it's not just the striker you you need. It's the playmaking aspect. And De Ketelia has that. 25, 30 million. Young player. Worst case scenario, you bring him in. You develop him behind Kane for two years. He decides he wants to go to a bigger role. You sell him at a big profit. Simple as that. That's what I would look to do there. But you also need... You've, you've got your backup goalkeeper. Now, for me... I'd have been passing on Fraser Forster, but as a third choice keeper, he's all right. I think you need to go and you need to find and address your goalkeeping situation. Hugo maybe has one year left, 
So find your long-term starter and develop him this season to take over next season. Obviously, there was a question mark over left wing back. We've talked about Regulon. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked with him as a wing back. You would think, given his skill set, he'd be ideal in that role. But it just has yep. not worked. Mm-mm. So I think you probably sell him on. You've got Perisic in the door. So you've got Perisic and Sessegnon. That is going to be strong. You could you could consider Perisic on the right side because he's boat-footed. Mm-hmm. And you could go back in for Philippe Kostic, who will give you instant impact, great cross for the ball, endless yeah. running. So I don't love do the Sosa links. I'd, I'd be fine with Kostic and considering Perisic either part of the front three or a right, right-sided option. Borna Sosa is interesting. If, he's, if sign him, it means Perisic is playing elsewhere. But I think... If you can address your centre-backs this season, just the two centre-backs, I think the rest of what you've got is good enough to get top four again. I agree. And that improvement at centre-back will propel you even further forward. And then next summer, you could go and address the rest. And then in the following year, which would be 23-24, then maybe you make the run of the title. The only issue with that is... (laughs) Is Conte still there? Will Conte still be there? Youngman's son will be 32. Kane will be 31. What level are they going to be at in two years' time? So it is a little bit of a, a question mark. But for me, I'd be looking at Spurs this season and saying, solidify yourself in the top four, which I think you're more than capable of doing. Address that centre-back. Get players of the same potential and age group of Romero. And yeah. build from there. Which is and, why Kulisevsky, so the whole Juventus group is it, like so perfect. Is they're all 24 and under, all exactly. super experienced. Like you could go from, if I, I don't know if he'll be available. Someone like Mary Demerel as well could fit in that middle mm. role. If you had a bit more money to spend. But like the thing for me is I'd be looking at, what, what do Spurs do when Kane and Son age out of this team? Well, I think the answer has to be, they become incredible at the other end. Yeah. And start to build forward from there. Because I do think it's easier to build a great attack than a great defence. You've got one foundational piece now for a great defence. You've got an opportunity under one of the, I believe, four best managers in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think they're on a, all on the same level. Him, Simeone, Pep and Klopp. I'd put them all on the same level. I know they've had varying degrees of success. But I, look at, I don't look at just the trophies won. I look at the jobs they've done. And yeah. what Conte did at Juventus, at Chelsea, and at Inter, I think is as impressive as what Pep has done. I think what Simeone's done at Atletico is as impressive as what Pep has done, considering the levels of the club and the money available. Same thing goes for Klopp, obviously, at Dortmund and Liverpool. So, for me, you've got one of the four best managers in the world. One of the things he's great at is developing players, and in particular, developing central defenders. Like, let's not forget, Bonucci was seen as flaky, Cialini was overly aggressive and I can't think of the name of the other, the other centre-back that was at Juventus with them. Uh, Barzagli. Barzagli. Yeah. He was on the scrap heap because he'd come through at Palermo, he'd gone abroad and it hadn't worked for him and Juventus took a gamble on him and brought him in. Andrea Barzagli had been at Palermo, had gone to Wolfsburg. It hadn't gone well. He was... What age was he? He was 30. And Juve took a gamble on him. And he came back and Conte turned him into arguably the best man-for-man marker in world football for about four years. 
Like, that's what Conte does. You've got a much better version of Barzagli now in Romero. There's a man-for-man marker who could do a lot more on top of that. If Bastoni arrives, he is the natural successor to Cialini in every way. Left-footed for the national team is going to be an absolute dominant force. And then it's about finding a Benucci. And it doesn't have to be someone who's as talented as Benucci on the ball, but does the Benucci job off the ball, which is to talk the others through the game and then do the fundamental simple things. When the ball is in front of you, attack it. The ball is too far from you, don't attack it. The ball goes behind you, <laughs> turn around and clear Run. it. Head it, kick it, and don't do stupid things. Know where you're meant to be and when you're meant to be there. I think, I think there's a lot to be very, very hopeful for with Spurs. Um, getting top four is so crucial, obviously, because I, I do think you were going to lose Son. I, I, I do have a feeling he was coming to Anfield if you hadn't got top four. Mm-hmm. I do think that was going to happen. And I think you probably would have lost Kane as well. Now, I think they both commit long-term to the club. And for Harry Kane... I think they both walk now, like, ultimately. Like, I don't think we'll get any money for either of them. I think they're both No, they'll they'll just... Yeah, they'll age out at at 33, 34. I think that's fine. But that gives you three, four years more of those two. Which is why I'm so mad about Klopp's extension. Is because you're kind of ruining our our title-chasing period. And I, I think there are a lot of players and probably Conte himself that think this year is a title chase. But I, I think the, the super bad news is that whatever our fate is probably lies outside of our own building. I think this is going yeah. to be one of the best seasons the Tottenham Hotspur ever play. And we could still end up third, which is really annoying. It, it doesn't guarantee trophies. It doesn't guarantee even a top two finish. Um, but I, I think the football will be fantastic. Um, for this year, I, I gave it an A-. minus. Third. What, sorry? I gave it an A- minus for this year. A-. minus. I think that's fair. If you finish third next season, will you finish third on 85 points and Liverpool and City are on 91-92? You've closed the gap from 22 points to seven points. So that is massive progress. If you can also win a domestic cup, well, that's the most successful season you've had. In... We need a trophy so badly. Oh my you God. do. You do. <sighs> you need to. If you, look, if you could have, take away what Liverpool did in the Champions League and finishing as close to City. If you could have a good league campaign, even if it's finishing fourth, but you get Champions League again, you have a decent run in the Champions League, say you make the quarters and you win both domestic cups, well, that's the best season you've had since the last time you won the league. Conte probably gets a trophy. Or not a trophy, I a statue. I think Conte will win a trophy. I think Conte will win silverware. And if it's cups, I think that's massive success. Agreed. You've got to start somewhere. You can't just come into a club that has ebbed and flowed for a long time, competed, not competed, competed again, not competed, hasn't won anything since, what, 08? And, and immediately think, well, we're going to win the league. Regardless of who the manager is, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to build a culture of winning. One of the things that Klopp and Mourinho and Guardiola have all done in England is come in and target that League Cup. Go and win that League Cup in your first year. Mourinho did it at Chelsea. Pep did it at City. Now, admittedly, Klopp didn't do it, but he got to the final. You know, he got to a final. And he got to a UEFA Cup final. While Liverpool lost those, it gave them the belief that they could compete in cups and that they could win important games and get to those big games. Which is what and Pochettino never understood. 
when that's he was like, thing. I don't Austin care about the League Cup or the FA Cup. It doesn't improve the club's profile. That's fine. It improves confidence. Yes, it builds a culture. And the one thing Pochettino probably didn't do is build a strong enough culture of winning at the club, which is why people always accused Spurs of doing of being Spursy. You know, when the pressure came, they didn't know what to do because you hadn't been there before. Like, look at Liverpool. Get to their first European Cup final since 2007 against Milan and were complete deer in the headlights. The following year came back and beat you guys and were ruthless about it. The whole way through that competition, ruthless, focused. We know what it takes to get to the final and we've seen what it takes to win it. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work for them this year, but they still won two domestic cups. And when it came down to it, it was a mentality thing that won them them cups over Chelsea, not an ability on the pitch thing. It was a mentality thing that saw them outlast them. It was a mentality thing that saw them drive so far into the late parts of the season. And winning that first League Cup this season really helped. It really was the springboard to go for that quadruple this season. So I think Spurs will be very good next season. I don't think you'll challenge for the title, but you are going to be my pick to win one of the domestic cups. And I think as long as Conte continues to develop the players you have, there's so much talent already at the club and there's so much promise in the likes of Romero, Kulisevsky, Sar, when he lands, is he coming this summer? He could. He'll get a test in the preseason, and we'll see if he's able to jump ahead. My guess is that Winks goes, and that Sar ends up being our fourth midfielder. If, if that's the case, then I think you're. I think you're set in midfield. If you could add Ericsson on top as a as a a bonus piece, then great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. If if, yep. if Winks goes, you'll get a decent fee from because he's English and he's in his. Kind of prime years. Yeah, we're asking 20, Sarah. which strikes me as a little low, but we can probably move him for that price, which I think is Paratici's job, is like shift all the dead wood and just get exactly. money for it. Don't view it as a loss from the previous management, but view it as just straight cash into the pocket of Conte. And, and the thing and is, like your backup 11, if you if you do add two centre-backs, you can still sell Joe Roden and Davinson and have Tanganga, who stylistically is the most similar to Romero. Mm. Obviously not the same level, but stylistically. Dyer as the backup and Ben Davies as the backup and then say Emerson Royale and Sestion as the backup wingbacks. That's not bad. Probably Doherty. It's not bad. We're trying to move Emerson. But yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, either way. Either way. It's not bad at all. You know, if if Brian Hill and Lucas Moura are the backups to Kulisevsky and Son, that's pretty good. So... There's already the structure of a good backup 11. So you don't need to, like with Arsenal, a lot of it is they've got to find depth here and there and over there and there as well. With Spurs, it's about improving the first team. And then the guys in the first team who will be pushed into into the, the backup 11 mean that you're going to have 22, 23 really good players going into next season, which is something Spurs haven't had in a long time. You haven't had quality depth up and down your team. You always had like, you had good depth at fullback, but you you had none at centre back. Right. You know, like when you had that that defence of Walker, Toby, Jan, and Danny Rose, and then you had Ben Davies and Trippier as depth. You were like, okay, they've got two good fullbacks on each side. So that's fine, but no depth at centre back at all. So right. that's an issue. Yep. Um, what was your you know, like, for them? A, a B. A B. Gotcha. And I went A minus. Uh, we 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 bloviated so, enough on on Spurs there. What did you make of Watford? Yeah, so with Watford, again, it, I think it can only be an F. They're the weirdest club in English football. They're the, they're the most un-English club going. 
and I'm not really sure what to make of them from one season to another. But, you know, 23 points, uh, third worst defence in the league, uh, second worst attack in the league. And and what's what what's strange about it is going into the season, I really liked their attacking options like Sar and Dennis and Jim yeah. Pedro and Chucho Hernandez. That, for me, as a front four, could have been quite impressive. I like Imran Luza, but the rest of the midfield was a mess. And defensively, there'd been a train wreck. I mean, when you're when you're starting Craig Cathcart and Trusta Kong and Kabiaselli and like players that we've seen in the Premier League before that weren't good enough for the Premier League three years ago, they're not good enough now either. So you know that's where they've let themselves down. Weird managerial appointments. I mean, Cisco was wasn't doing great, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. You replace him. Claudio Ranieri, that was a mess from day one. He didn't really seem to want to be there. He seemed to be there mostly because he had a relationship with the owners and he was looking for a payout. And then you bin him off and you bring in Roy Hodgson, who, you know, really didn't want to be there. Like, Roy had no interest in being the manager of Watford. None at all. And you saw that in the Crystal Palace game where he didn't even thank the Watford fans. He just went and waved at the Palace fans as if he was some sort of returning hero. Um, they they failed multiple managers, but the one they failed most this season was Cisco, obviously, at the start of the season. You look at their ingoings and outgoings, and like last summer, Kev, they signed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. They signed 19 players across the two windows. Now, admittedly, <laughs> not all of them were for the first team. But that's what, what is that approach like? And then leaving the club, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 players who... You know, and then there's all these players out on like there's about 40 players out on loan. The whole thing is just a mess. There's no there's no structure to the club at all. It is literally you know throwing the proverbial against the wall and hoping for the best. But yeah, it's an F for me, and and the Premier League is no worse off without them. <laughs> I I'll be honest, when I was like writing them up a little bit, I just kept being pulled towards giving them a D because unlike Norwich. And to an extent, Burnley, it feels like they at least tried. Like, you're not wrong. 19 players is crazy. But, like, you know, bringing in Dennis, that was smart. Bringing in, like, a, a experienced central midfielder like Sissoko, I was pretty confident that their central midfield would be good enough to keep them up alone. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, but remember who else was in there? Like, Tom Cleverley? <laughs> True. Hasn't been good in four years. Uh, the the Kuka that they brought in on loan. Osan Tufan was a disaster. They really the shouldn't o- have let Will Hughes go. Thing. Yeah. No, they shouldn't. And, and Atibo getting hurt, having come on loan from Stoke hurt them. But think about how bad this Osan Tufan deal was. They terminated that loan in February. If they had stayed up, they were obligated to buy him. Yeah. A player who barely played, they'd sent away five months earlier. Like, there's just no sense in what they do. And... Like, I look at them for this summer, and I'm looking at them again from a championship point of view. What do you do to get back up? Now, again, I'm working on the basis that 
you know, Saar and Dennis will leave. But I still think there's quality there up front in Kalu and in in King and in Pedro, uh, Joe Pedro and Chucho Hernandez. But like they have to address centre back. How many how many times have we done podcasts and talked about Watford <laughs> still didn't address centre back? We and, should like, get a dollar every time we do year, it. That's the thing. Like they bring in Matty Pollock from Grimsby, who's a kid who's clearly not Premier League ready. Um, they brought in Nicholas Nkulu in Jan in, in October. I think he played four games and got hurt. And then they bring in Samir in from Udinese, who they also own who's played exclusively in a back three. They bring in a wing-back in Hassan Kamara, who's exclusively a wing-back, and they stick them both in a back four. Like, that's not that's not what you should be doing. Don't buy players that don't fit how your manager's going to play. It's just, it's such a bizarre approach to everything. Um, I, 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 we're well we're well shot of them. We are, we're well shot. Yep. Uh, you gave Vivid F. I... I should I should just give them an F, but I did find it interesting that I kept twenty three points, Kevin. Yep, twenty three points. Third worst in goals conceded to our. Why the heck have you still not addressed center back in a meaningful way? Thing. So yeah, I was feeling generous, but yeah, probably stupidly. Um, West Ham are a really difficult case. Um, I gave them an F for their winter window because, as you'll recall, they tried to sign like eight really good forward players. It didn't bring any of them in. Um, and then the fear then was, that they, I think they were fifth, just a few points off fourth, but they had played like all of their games, which was obviously not the case for a lot of other teams. But um, over the last two years, are they the fourth best team in the Premier League? Like that way that Tottenham got to say that from 15 to 17, they were the best team in the Premier League, but were never first. I just, I just wonder if West Ham were like in that general area. Um, and whether or not they were fourth or fifth over that period. But this year slipped down to seventh. Um, I don't even really blame David Moyes. Uh, it's, it's just the higher-ups at the club who, who failed to invest in January. Like, if Moyes wants to give them credit for trying, that's fine. But ultimately, decisions in the boardroom are why they fell short in their competitions. I mean, obviously, they made a really good run in uh, the Europa League, made it to the semifinal. Um, they hovered around those Europa League spots all year this season, but fell just short. Um, it has to be really frustrating if you're a West Ham fan. Like, this kind of reminds me of, like, those Tottenham windows where we were f- fighting for top four and then we're bringing, like, Luis Saha and Ryan Nelson in January. And you're like, this is our chance to establish ourselves in the top four, and we didn't do it. Now, the players that they were trying to go for are going to go for way more money into bigger clubs than than West Ham. But, like, Darwin Nunez, missing out on him after spending a lot of the window chasing him is a problem. Ekatike, who I think is now going to Newcastle, well, maybe not a, uh, you know, too, too different in terms of current club profile, but obviously they have more money than God now. Um, just these players could have been the difference for you, and they weren't. Because as it stands, I think Jared Bowen led them in, in goals with 12. Yes. Also ended up being top five in assists. And it kind of feels like a wasted, brilliant season from him. I mean, I think it's the performance level is repeatable. I don't know if those numbers are specifically repeatable. But he shouldn't be the one having to do all of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, they, they have to bring in a striker. Michael Antonio is like the perfect flatters to deceive player. He'll, he'll go on a run of like four or five matches where you can convince yourself that he's like one of the better 
you know, strikers in the Premier League forgetting that he was a right wing back like three or four years ago. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I, I actually, it's kind of a disappointment that, that we don't have Sean on the EPL roundtable much anymore because I'm really curious how West Ham fans feel about this season because they were so close to this season being like really special and then just fell short on all counts. Um, and for me, like I said, I, I, I blame the ownership structure way more than I blame Moyes or the players. But the result is the result, you know, fell short of, of the top six, fell short of the Europa League um, trophy. So for me, I've, I've given them a C. It just felt middle of the road like it could have been great. You ended up kind of failing your objectives, but kind of put them in the middle. But yeah, I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. And if you're a West Ham fan listening, let me know on Twitter if I'm like heinously wrong. I think you've been a little bit harsh. I think I think on the season, it's I think it's a B. Um, you are right; they did miss out on Europa, but at least they got Conference League, so they've got European football again for next season. The big failure, obviously, is is more the fact that they got to the final four of the Europa League, which in itself, obviously, great achievement. But they should be beating Eintracht Frankfurt, and I think they've beaten Rangers in the final, so they'll be disappointed disappointed to have lost that lost out on that trophy look when you look at their squad there's just there's just no depth I mean they've got one real left back at the club Aaron Cresswell he's 32 years of age and he's decent but he's not he's not a starter he's not a starter for a team with the ambition that they seem to have um I like the right-back situation. I like Soufal. I like uh, Ben Johnson. I think looked really good, developed well this season. Once that Ogbonna got hurt at centre-back, they had a problem because Zuma is good, but a little bit inconsistent and a little bit injury-prone. And a little bit of a cat abuser. Yes. We'll gloss over that for <laughs> now. Um, Issa Diop hasn't developed since joining West Ham. He's talented, but he's rash and he's inconsistent Craig Dawson had a good season by Craig Dawson standards but should you really be starting Craig Dawson if you've got any kind of ambition in the Premier League like should you really be starting him as much as you have no you shouldn't so you know they go through that second half of the season with three centre backs one left back and two in midfield that Moyes trusts plus Mark Noble, because for whatever reason, he wouldn't play Alex Kral. In January, what they needed to do was go and buy a centre-back, go and buy a left-back, and go and get a body in midfield. They didn't need Rafinha, because Jared Bowen is having the season of his life. (laughs) So you don't need Rafinha. You're not going to get Darwin Nunes. And... What are you going to do with Calvin Phillips? Because he's really good, but are you dropping Suchek or Rice? Now, I think he's actually better than Suchek, but are you going to drop Suchek, who Rice has this great partnership with? So, And also, does anyone really think Leeds were going to sell those players in January? Darwin wasn't going to join them. Those bids were for show. I remain convinced to this Mm. day that those bids were for show. They knew they were getting turned down. And yet they wasted the entire month doing that. They needed to take that 50 million that they seemed to have to spend and put 12 million of it at left back. Or you could have gone and got Matt Target in on loan before Newcastle did. They needed to put 15 to 20 million at centre back, 
and they needed to put the rest into a, a body in midfield. Someone that could just give Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek a break. Because Mark Noble hasn't been able to play for three years. It's notable that when West Ham improved under Moyes at the back half of the 1920 season, it was when he dropped Mark Noble. And West Ham really took off from there. With Mark Noble, they were a team fighting relegation. Without him, they are a team challenging for Europe. That's the difference. Mark Noble hasn't been able to play in years. He was never all that good to begin with. So I think Moyes has been badly let down by his ownership. And I think this summer they've got a lot of needs to address. You've got to find a better starting goalkeeper than Fabianski, who cost you a lot of points in the league this season. Now, it could be Ariola if you want to keep him. He's very good, and he had a great run in the Europa League, so mm. I would turn that into a permanent deal. I'd be looking to bring in a starting left-back. Again, I've just mentioned Matt Target. He's definitely available. 12, 14 million would get you him. He's an improvement over Cresswell, and Cresswell is a solid backup. You've got to get a starting centre-back to go next to Zuma, and that means that then you have Dawson, Diop, and when he returns from injury, Ogbonna as your depth, and that's a good situation. James Tarkovsky's available on a Bosman. I would be throwing money at him if I was West Ham because Tarkovsky and Zuma, that's a pairing that I know will work. Tarkovsky is plug-and-play for a club like West Ham. So you've got to get that, and you've got to get a starting striker because Mikel Antonio just isn't it. Like, I get that he causes teams problems. I get that he's, you know, he's big and he's powerful and whatever else. And there's the odd game where he looks unbelievable. But that man's career best for you is 10 goals in a season in the Premier League. That's not getting the job done. As a backup, as a guy that can play 12, 13 starts a season and come off the bench the rest of the time, ideal, but not as your starting number nine. So you've got four starters you need to buy. You need two depth players in midfield behind Suchek and Rice. It doesn't look like they'll keep Alex Kral. I wouldn't imagine he's all that keen to stay after what he's been through this season. So you've got to get two there. They've been linked with Josh Brownhill. I don't mind that that idea. But get one more who's a defensive-minded player who can spell Suchek a bit more. And then you've got to get someone that can give Bowen a bit of a rest because they have Ben Rama and Fornals, who had a really good season, and Lanzini, who's very similar to Ben Rama, and Vlasic, who's a very good player, but maybe was the wrong player for them to buy. There's nobody to give Bowen a break. And when Bowen got hurt, it was noticeable how little pace they had in that line behind the striker. So go and find a young player to develop in behind Bowen. And if you sell Bowen in a year or two, then you have that replacement ready to go. It's seven players. But it's time these owners, these new owners, started to show some ambition, started to back David Moyes, who has worked, I think, absolute miracles at this club, to finish in Europa League last year, Conference League this year, with this group of players who, prior to that, were struggling to stay in the division, with not a whole lot of uh, backing. I know he signed Zuma and Vlasic, but it wasn't enough. You needed more than that. I give them a B, and I think they can be confident going into next season that they're a top eight club. Um, I don't see them falling below the top eight next season. 
You know, you look at those below them. I think Leicester could jump them. I don't know that anyone else will jump them next season. Newcastle, I think it's the following season is likely when they make their move into the top eight. But for West Ham, what they need to be looking at is, you know, how do we close the gap on Arsenal? Arsenal are not 13 points better than West Ham. In no way, shape or form are Arsenal 13 points better than West Ham. With Arsenal having European football next season, that gap will close naturally. How can they close the rest of it? Well, the best way to do it is to be able to compete on two fronts and not run your players into the ground. So then the second half of the season, your players like Declan Rice and Suchek and Bowen are starting to run on fumes and pick up injuries. They lost two, four, six, eight times in the second half of the season. Eight times. That's unacceptable. They only had five wins after they beat Norwich on the 12th of January. That's not acceptable. Mm. You've got to get better. You've got to have more depth so you can be fresher at the end of the season. But overall, I think I'll give them a B. I think they can be happy with their season. And look, they scored 60 goals. That's that's a promising sign. To only get to, sorry, to get 60 goals when your main number nine only gets 10, that's pretty good. 51 conceded is not good enough. Improve that. Get more depth in midfield, and I think they can be. I think they can be good again next season. Um, so mm. I'll give them a B. Gotcha. All right. Well, you want to hit um, us with Wolves for us to wrap up? Yes, we will move on to the final club of the day, which is Wolverhampton Wanderers, who had a somewhat strange season. Uh, not much was really expected of them. Bruno Lage arrived as a bit of an unknown quantity. He'd had a short spell with Benfica. He'd done really well. And then it had gone wrong quite quickly and they'd moved on from him. It turns out that's more a Benfica problem than a Bruno Lage problem. They started the season poorly. They lost four of their first five games. But they could make real arguments that against Leicester, Tottenham and United, they deserved to win all three of them. But they couldn't score goals despite creating a ton of chances and end up losing all three. Then they beat Watford. Brentford outplayed them and that was fair enough. Then they won four of five. Lost one. Went three unbeaten, lost to Liverpool and City, won four of five, lost to Arsenal, beat Tottenham, beat Leicester. And we're looking like a team who could qualify for Europe at the end of February. They lost again to Arsenal, they lost to West Ham, and their season kind of fizzled from there. Their only wins after the 20th of February when they beat uh, Leicester were Watford, who everybody beats, Everton, who everybody beats and Aston Villa in a local derby, but they lost five of their last seven, six of their last eight, and nine of their last uh, last 14. That's, that's a bad end to any season. They went from being sixth, seventh, or eighth for most of the season to finishing 10th, which I think they'll be disappointed with. Um, there's no doubting there's some talent in that squad, but there's also no, no doubting that there's a need for real investment now they haven't invested properly for a few years and the team is starting to to look a little bit worn down shall we say they're likely to lose Ruben Neves this summer because he wants to play Champions League football and is good enough to play Champions League football it's time to move on from Connor Cody and Willie Bolly and Romain Sice in defence you've got a good building block in Max Kilman. Jose Sa outperformed all expectations I think they're good at wing back with Semedo and um, the kid they bought from Liverpool, his name escapes me, um, Hoiver, and uh, 
Ait Nuri and Johnny Otto on the left. So that's fine. In midfield, you've got Matinho, you've got Den Donker, you'll bring back Gibbs White, who was on loan uh, and had a really impressive loan spell this year at, uh, at Sheffield United. You'll probably give more minutes to Luke Cundle, but you're going to need to buy at least one in midfield, at least one starting calibre midfielder. Regardless of Neves, you need at least one. The two centre-backs, starting calibre player in midfield. It's time to admit that Raul Jimenez is not coming back the way he once was, but can still be a fine backup. Loan Fabio Silva for a year to get him experience, but buy yourself a striker and you need to buy a right winger and a backup goalkeeper because John already left. It's a lot to do, but these owners have backed managers in the past. Like They backed Nuno heavily. Bruno Lage is a better manager than Nuno, and it's time to back him. Over the course of their season, because I think a lot of people thought they were going to go down, I'm going to give them a B. But running up to the end of February, I had them down as an A because I thought they were overachieving massively based on expectation. And I was really enjoying what Bruno Lage was doing. And then it defensively, they were massively overachieving. Oh, 100%. But defensively, they were outstanding for months. Through 31 games, they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. At one point, though, they were top three in defence behind Liverpool and City, or it could have been City and Chelsea mm-hmm. at the time, and the second worst attack behind only Burnley. So, you know, it's clear where their issue was. And when you're really, really good defensively, but awful going forward, and teams no longer respect you going forward, they just start to gamble and commit more men forward, and then your defence comes under too much pressure. Overall, I'll give them a B. I think it's a big summer coming for them. But I think if they're smart, they do everything they possibly can to keep Bruno Lage happy. Because I do think they've landed a gem. I don't know if you know this, Kev. I don't know if you're multilingual like myself. But if you translate Bruno Lage from the original Portuguese into German, it translates as Thomas Tuchel. If you then, tra- <laughs> if you then translate it from German to English, it translates as Graham Potter. That's something you probably didn't know. But I, Bruno I didn't Lage. Know. Yeah, Bruno Lage means Thomas Tuchel in German, and if you translate it from German then on to English, it means Graham Potter. I think he's that calibre. I really do. I know people would say, oh, Thomas Tuchel's a much better manager from Graham Potter. I'm not sure he is. I'm not sure he is. I think he's just had better opportunities. Mm. I think if you gave Graham Potter this Chelsea team, he could do really, really well with it. And I think Bruno Lage could as well. Look at what they're doing fundamentally. Defensively, it's this, the very same system. Limit opponent chances, Limit where they shoot from, give them low probability opportunities and get great shot-stopping goalkeepers. That's what they do. In midfield, they do very similar things again. And in attack, they create lots of chances and just don't score any goals. So, yeah, um, a, a, B for, a B for Mr. Lage and his, uh, his collection there. But definitely need to be stronger at the end of next season than you were at the end <laughs> of this season. Yeah, I went B-, and the minus is mostly from how it went. I think... It was like somewhere between six and eight weeks left of the season. We had a conversation about who would you rather be for the rem- for the remainder of um, the season? Would you rather be West Ham or Wolves? Wolves, had, I think, had a couple of recent wins. West Ham were, were kind of struggling as their attention was kind of drawn um, to the Europa League competition. And it was, a, it was a close call. People mostly decided West Ham because they knew where the goals were coming from. And ultimately, that was, that was the main issue with Wolves. Um, but like that was a conversation, like not far from the end of the season. And then 
for them to slip all the way to 10th, which was the lowest they could finish the last two weeks. Um, I, I think has to be pretty disappointing mm. for them. But yeah, anyway, so they, they get the minus for me, but I don't disagree with you on the whole, uh, which is great because now we are done. Uh, we just passed the two minute, <laughs> or sorry, we just passed the two hour mark on the recording. Don't know how much of that will go out, but folks at home, we hope you enjoyed these log shows. Uh, as much as we do doing them as we mentioned at the top of the show uh, if you want to listen to the first part if you've somehow made it through this whole second half (laughs) and still want to listen to the first half obviously do so by heading over to uh, the EPL index Twitter where I'm sure they'll be tweeting out um, that first episode I think you said two-footed pod is the RSS feed though yes oh it's it's I think it's the EPL index podcast is the RSS feed gotcha um, so be sure to check that out. Uh, Dave, anything else? Any, anywhere else you want people to go listen to you? Obviously, you're fantastic. No, you can check out the Anfield Index podcasts. Um, you'll find them under Anfield Index. And uh, we have a big summer of content planned. And, um, yeah, there'll be two-footed potters every day at 4 p.m. on EPL Index. And the Daily Red is my kind of short daily podcast on Anfield Index. And then I do... Post-match Raw, which obviously with no games this summer, we've got a Raw retro that we're going to do where we look at watch old games together and then do a pod based on them for people to listen in live through our Discord chat. We'll have, there's an On The Books podcast I do with Trev Downey where we basically review great books about football. Um, You can check that out. AI Scouted is one of mine with Carl Matchett. Old School is one of mine with Gags Tandon. Uh, Myself and Gags are two of the original four who began the Anfield Index podcast. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. Most of it is weekly, but there are the two daily ones. All right. Well, if, if the people have listened for over two hours of us talking today, they should obviously go check out your daily show over there. Uh, also, if you're a Liverpool fan, feel free to check out all of the Anfield Index stuff. You probably already are, but just in case, be sure to check that out. But thanks to you, Dave, for, for talking to me today for what amounted to over four hours total, but two hours on this show in particular. Thanks to all the guests that came on throughout the season that helped us have all these great conversations about the Premier League and football in general. And folks at home, thank you, thank you for sticking with us all year, for providing us some comments on what we can do better and overall just supporting the show. We've been going almost a decade now, and it's, it's honestly incredible that we still have some of that original group still listening. But yeah, that'll do it for us for this season. Uh, we'll be in about a month and a little more than that hiatus, and then we'll be back a few weeks before next season starts to talk about the recently promoted sides to get a little bit of our, our predictions in before the season starts. And then, yeah, before you know it, it'll be the start of the 2022-2023 campaign. But yeah, thanks again for all of your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next season. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.